0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Why Can't I Get It Together, written and narrated by Jamie Ivey, host of the Happy Hour podcast. It is available now everywhere you get your audiobooks.
1: Hey, Truce Podcast listeners, this is Chris from the Truce Podcast. We've been doing episodes every other week for the last few months. And as a little bonus to say thank you for your patience while I get these complex episodes together, I'm giving you this special interview that I did with Vladimir Prognevsky, who, along with his family, was a Christian refugee from Ukraine. His father was an underground pastor in Ukraine under the Soviet Union. His story is super interesting, but I couldn't fit it into any of the other episodes, so I've decided to include it here just for you. Towards the end, Vladimir is going to talk about a program that he participated in as a kid. It's called Operation Christmas Child, and that program allows churches in countries like the United States to send shoeboxes full of school supplies and soap and toothbrushes and all that kind of stuff to kids in need around the world. And Vladimir received one of those shoeboxes as a kid. So you'll hear about that later on. Thank you for listening to The Truce Podcast, and here's Vladimir. Well, first of all, can you uh, introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, so my name is, full name is actually Vladimir Proknevsky. When I moved to the United States, we moved to East Tennessee and they they called me Vladimir. <laughs> <I> so <laughs> if you're from East Tennessee, I'm Vladimir. If you're from everywhere else, I'm Vladimir. But uh, I uh, moved to the United States as a Christian refugee back in 2000. So th- I was 12 and a half years old, family of nine kids. I come from uh, a family of, uh, my dad was a pastor of an underground church back in the day. And by the way, both of my parents are still alive today. They live up in Columbus, Ohio, where it's so flat. You can watch your dog run away for three days, yeah. maybe even four days. But they're just amazing, godly people. You know, that saying, preach the gospel. And if you have to use words, that's how I would describe my parents. They they walked it out. And um, m- my father, being a believer living in communist country, he uh, he definitely faced some challenges, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, later in the podcast. But uh, that's pretty much what I am. I... I uh, Moved so when I was 12 years old, moved to East Tennessee. We had two churches sponsor us when we moved to the United States. Uh, we moved as refugees, and we had, it w- which was pretty cool because it was two different denominations. It was like a Presbyterian and a Methodist church coming together, putting away their differences, which to me was kind of weird because growing up, I uh, always I kind of witnessed a lot of uh, denominations fighting with each other. But it was really cool to see two different denominations putting away the differences and just helping a family in need. And I mean, this is a huge family, right? Nine kids all together was eleven of us. Wow! And they, yeah, they found a house for us. They covered rent for a whole year. They brought us food. Just like random people would show up every single day with, with food, with clothes. They'd take us shopping. Some of the people from both churches would take us on the vacations with them. So we would they would have like an extra seat or something, or an extra room or something like that, and they would take us and. Others volunteered to take us to soccer practice and other things. So it was just really cool. We, when we moved to East Tennessee, we definitely experienced Southern hospitality at its best. And uh, and growing up, you know, when we grew up in Kiev, Ukraine, we, we didn't have much. I always say that uh, we, we pretty much grew up on rice and potatoes, which I often jokingly say that we were vegetarians before it was even cooler. <laughs> and I mean, even growing up, we had to share a toothbrush We had to take turns to go outside to play because we only had so many pairs of shoes. So, I mean, scarcity, as you can imagine. Yeah. And so that was kind of like a, and actually, like, we grew up in a tiny three bedroom apartment, and uh, my mom, she didn't have a washer and a dryer. So, she had to do uh, all the laundry by hand with this, like, old Soviet bar of soap. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like this brown thing. It's a chop. It's like, it looks like a brick. It's brown. It smells terrible. It has this, like, the soapiness is uh it's kind of brown it's just terrible it's not anything i would want my kids to use but it's, it's one of those soaps that you can find at like at a whole Foods store now for a lot of money you know yeah <laughs> which is what beats me right it's organic so people want it uh-huh. but back then i despised that thing and because my mom did so much laundry with her hands uh, her with that soap her hands or skin would often crack and bleed and then mom she would stay up like all night, she would make socks and underwear for us. So when we moved to United States, and I, I thought it was really awesome for the first time when my mom saw a, a washer and a dryer, somebody, w- when we moved to that house, they provided us with a washer and a dryer. Wow. It, it was special to see mom being so excited. And I'm a talker, so I mean, I can talk your ears. Please do. <laughs> I can <continue>. Please do.
1: <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. What What took your parents to Ukraine in the first place?
2: Well, we they originally so we all grew up. My, my dad, I guess the roots, the Praknivsky last name, the roots are from Poland, but somehow they all and my mom, her roots are like from Belarus, I think. At least my dad claimed that for years. But um, the, my, my mom was adopted when she was young. She also comes from a large family, and I guess uh, her mom died at birth. And uh, when she was, uh, I think she was, she was also a twin, and so. Her mom died and her dad, he already had, I don't know if it was like 11 kids or something like that. He just couldn't handle all the kids. So he gave up mom, both of the twins for adoption. And uh, so one family adopted my mom and another family adopted uh, her brother. And uh, so she, she was adopted growing up in Kiev, Ukraine, all her life. She didn't know she was adopted and she was an atheist pretty much. She didn't believe in God. And, um, my dad, he comes from a different background. He comes from a background where his mom was a believer, even though my dad was like an alcoholic for like 20 some years or something like that. And, but his mom was not just a believer, but she was like a big time yeah. believer, you know? And, uh, and so he comes from, uh, roots that like his uh, uncle was, uh, a a big, hi- uh, how can I say this? He was like, a big time leader in the Christian community in Kiev. He, in fact, he wrote books. In I just recently, his name is Boyka. I just recently googled him, and he was just a well known. He was persecuted. There's a whole book written in the Russian language that I'm looking forward to read because a lot of my family members are, or like my grandma's mentioned that book as well wow. so it's really apparently it was a big deal back then i, I didn't know he he at one he, he even paid, played for the uh professional team dynamo kiev at one point from what i hear so anyway but he was heavily persecuted by the kgb in that book he tells a lot of stories which i wish i read it before i came on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and so we both they, they come from uh totally different backgrounds they get together and my dad was uh you know, halfway in, halfway out in, in, the in the world, halfway in the church kind of thing. And was, a uh, heavily into alcohol. And then one day he just, uh, gets a radical encounter with God and, uh, totally walks away from alcohol. And my mom said she will never, ever, ever become a a Christian because Christians weren't really the cool people in the Soviet union at that time. Uh, They were kind of considered like the, um, the lunatics, the, uh, what do they call them? Like these, uh, the society like secret society kind of thing something that you wouldn't want to be a part of like witches and and the there was plenty of propaganda my dad was telling about how on tv they would they would find like a rare case where someone did something you know there was some kind of sacrifice or something you know people sometimes do crazy things you know not everyone who calls themselves a christian is a christian and they would take this case and they would make it public and they would uh say, hey, look, this is what Christians are. They're pedophiles, or they're this, they're that. The reason why they have such large families is because they're pedophiles and all these different things. So my mom, she didn't want anything to do with Christians. (laughs) So she said, over my dead body, in fact. And and then one time, my dad went away to, I think he went to Poland. He was uh, working there or something like that. And her friend dropped off at her house A uh, an alcohol making machine. I think it was like a vodka making machine. Which uh, I don't know why mom took something like that in because it was illegal to have something like that. And so I guess her friend was going away somewhere for the weekend, and she said, "Hey, listen, can you drop? Can I just leave this in your house uh, over the weekend?" And she said, "Fine, sure." And this is what my mom told me just recently. I found out. She said every night, like at three o'clock in the morning or something like that. Uh, spirits would come out of that alcohol making machine and there would be like mermaids and all these different cartoon characters and stuff. And they would like come out of that machine uh, and they would float in the air and they would get really close to my mom's face and then just like, ah, show their like teeth to her. And so it was like on the clock every single night. I think it was maybe, I think it was three o'clock in the morning. Don't quote me on that. But uh, anyway, and so my mom, uh, obviously she didn't believe in the spiritual world. She didn't believe anything like that until that moment, which is kind of interesting, you know, Chris, now when I drive by, like a, uh, you see like a, a liquor store where it says uh, a beer, wine, and yeah. spirits. It gives me a totally different meaning now after that yeah. story. <laughs> so the alcohol making machine had spirits, and so anyway, two three nights in a row, something like the two nights or something, like that, mom f- was facing that, and it got to the point to where she was scared to go back in the house. And so, needless to say, after that, she ran to church. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> so that's my mom's conversion—how she became a Christian.
1: It's amazing. It really does. It takes all kinds of things to reach all kinds of people, and, and the Lord does use visions sometimes to get people's attention. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. But so they were they were they actually missionaries in Ukraine?
2: I mean, not necessarily like a a term missionary. They were just um, followers of Christ and their goal was to make disciples and that's what they did. Uh, Not necessarily, uh, they weren't paid for any of this. You know, it's interesting in our culture back then, especially, and I think it carries over to this culture as well. Like a lot of our Soviet people in the United States, a lot of Russian speaking churches, pastors don't get a salary, which is kind of uh, interesting. You know, it's not really a career for them. It's just a calling. So my dad, I don't think he ever got paid for any of his work. So it was it was just something he did uh, outside of work uh, that was his pastoral duty that he felt like that was what God called him to do, and that's what he did. And it was dangerous. In fact, in one time they uh, threatened to send him to work to send him to work on the reactor at Chernobyl, which would be a death sentence. I remember he was telling me that story. But you know, it's it's amazing. You know, when church is persecuted, when the church has to surrender one hundred percent to God. When, you know, when the church's back is against the wall, so to speak, and they have to surrender. There's no other way. That's when beautiful things happen, you know? When when you put all your trust in God and uh God really protected the church. You know, God told me stories of how they would like um you know, because all the, the local authority, the KGB, they, they monitored all the phone calls and everything. So it's kind of hard to uh tell people when to meet, where to meet. And uh so they would uh they would literally like have three locations, let's say we have three places where we can meet next week, and they would all just say, "Okay, we have these three places. Now let's pray and see what the Holy Spirit tells us which one wow. is safe." And sure enough, they would like pray, and somebody would get up and say, yeah, "Holy Spirit," and then they would pray, have confirmation, and uh, and that's how God protected them. They would have dr- some. I've heard of stories how dreams and visions would uh, like people would would have uh, would have dreams and visions of the time and the place where to meet, and sure enough, they would show up, and they would have church, uh, just stuff yeah. like that, you know. <laughs> Just crazy stuff. Wait,
1: so, uh, tell me, working at Chernobyl, it was a death sentence before before the accident, or like this is after the accident?
2: This was like already after the accident. I think my my dad one time in passing told me that it's like yeah, that one time they uh, threatened to send me to work in the reactor because they tried to. You know, everything was owned by the state. We have we have to keep in mind this was a, uh, a communist country. There was no private sector. You couldn't just. You know, like, hey, I, I don't want to, I don't like what you guys are doing. I'm just going to start my own business and I'm going to start my own little neighborhood. You know, you couldn't yeah. just do that. So you uh, kind of have to go with the flow uh, and uh, working. So my dad had a job and uh, every time he was captured and written up, you know, it greatly affected his pay. They would like mess with his vacations. Like, instead of taking a summer vacation, they would make sure he'd get a winter vacation or miss a bonus or something like that. You know, they would just try to hurt Christians the best way they knew how. So that's kind of thing. So, and, um, at one point they just got so fed up with him because he would, uh, he, he was like a frequent flyer, you know, in the local authority, o- authority's <laughs> office. So they just said, Hey, we're going to, they were threatening him to send him to work on the reactor. And it's actually interesting during when that happened, 1986, I believe that's when the Chernobyl accident happened. And it's interesting because I had just recently heard of, uh, of a guy who I was speaking at the church and, uh there was a guy who was from that church, but I, I, I missed him by like just a, a day or so. He was just there. And he was talking about how he was also from my neck of the woods, how, uh, they sent him like two or three times to actually work on the reactor oh at Chernobyl. And, uh, he, with each crew, he went, everyone died except wow. for him. And obviously he's still alive today. So again, you know, the safest place to be is an assignment. If God wants you to be there and, uh, that's your safest place. You know. You, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear about anything. Even if it does look like you, yeah. you might die, it doesn't matter because God will protect.
1: And to what degree was the church underground uh, in Ukraine? Or uh,
2: I just spoke to my father just uh, about an hour ago and I was going through some of the questions that you asked me and uh, just asking. <laughs> I finally got him on the phone and I was just like, hey dad, let, let me ask you a few questions. And that's the, the one I asked him and he was just like, well, it depends uh-huh. on the time. It says, uh, so it was because of the time. So there were times when uh, there was no freedom at all. The whole church was underground. So there was a time, but then there was it was 50-50, you know, free, freedom was given, but with a, with a compromise. So for example, like kids under a certain age were not allowed to be in church. People that came from other, other villages or cities that were not allowed to sh- preach or, you know, share the God, you know, preach. Obviously preaching on the streets was not allowed at all. And, uh, so, you know, if you think about it, that, that was during the time when my dad was, he said it was like after the seventies, uh, he says before the war or before the war it was like, nobody was pretty much allowed, uh, make sure I, I get this right. Uh, but then like after the seventies, he says 79 was a freer. That was the time when he was there and, uh, they were still controlling and listening to stuff and they still had, uh, their foot in the door, so to speak. You know, if a pastor is saying something they don't like they would remove that pastor from authority, from registered churches. So if you think about it, if the kids are not allowed, if uh, there are all these different limitations, things that they had to abide and like sermons had to be viewed ahead of time or reviewed and all this stuff. That's why my father decided, look, this is not a church. If you strip all those things, it becomes like Boy Scouts of America. You know, people just show up, (laughs) I'll just do that a little, yeah, it's a club, right? It's a a club. And uh, so people show up and then they really, it's powerless, right? And, And so- my father decided that uh, this is not what he wanted to do and so they decided to go underground. And uh there was obviously a price to pay. They couldn't just uh you know, or they they had to like meet at different apartments, different places and they would show up in like five minute increments just so they wouldn't draw attention on themselves. Um in like in the middle of the night, it's in different different parts of the of the city. And uh, you know, it's if you think about it, there's like forty, fifty or sixty people. Showing up all at once, it had to be coordinated. Just showing up at church had to be very strategic. It's not thinking about it, my gosh, and then when they show up, those apartments are so Soviet apartments yeah. are so small, and even that you know some neighbor can really uh catch on to things and then tip the local authority and and they'll be there within minutes and that happened before too, and a lot of times things like that happen when they disobeyed, let's say they they just decided to go with their own flow instead of praying and asking God for wisdom. And so there, God God was teaching the church. He was leading the church. He was protecting the church. And uh, even though it was the times were hard, I feel like in a weird way, you know, and this is my personal opinion, just observing my father. When he moved to the United States, he was so active in the Ukraine, but when he moved to the United States, when there was, he doesn't speak the language until it's even now, both of my parents don't really speak English, but because he doesn't speak English, his world right. got much smaller. And moving to the United States, he couldn't really do much here except for being a part of like a, a Russian church somewhere. And it was kind of sad in a way because my father was so involved in the church. And it, it's, uh, you know, persecution, even though it sounds so terrible, it sounds like it's such a bad time. But it was like, it was like war for them. Yeah. They were excited. They saw miracles. And, you know, when persecution comes, it's not necessarily bad because it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, when there's darkness light shines much yeah. brighter brighter
0: and uh, that's kind of how it was in persecution this episode is brought to you in part by truett seminary are you sensing a call to ministry at baylor's Truitt seminary students are equipped for gospel ministry in the context of a caring community Truitt offers a highly relational learning experience with faculty who are both world-class scholars and pastoral teachers at Truitt. Students receive not only rigorous academic instruction at an R1 Christian research facility, but also intentional spiritual formation. We value you and your unique calling and will prepare you for kingdom work in a broken world. Learn more at baylor.edu slash Well,
1: and why did you guys have to leave Ukraine?
2: Good question. Well, we had an opportunity to leave earlier we we moved in 2000 which obviously in 2000 was uh there was not much persecution at all in fact it, you know that's my father was saying how there were times where nobody was able to there were, there were no churches at all everything was underground then it was 50-50 and then after the fall it was pretty much anybody can do anything and he says it was a uh, it was awesome because they would like straight up have uh, revivals on the street they would preach and, and it was so new for Soviet Union so people were so hungry for the word of God and so we didn't because sometimes people ask me like well Vladimir why did you guys move as refugees because we moved as persecuted Christians refugees in 2000 when there was freedom but um, because we were persecuted before 90 See, see I'm, technically I'm older than my country I was born in 1987, USSR, mm-hmm. and my country became a country in 1991, so which is kind of like a weird case, right? Yeah. And so because we were hindered from advancing in society, I mean, we were uh, pretty much handicapped in the society already. And then after the fall, things got even harder for a lot of big families, Christian families. And so there was a a um, I, I think under Reagan, he, he had this uh, – uh, he opened like a door for persecuted Christians that were persecuted – uh, during the Soviet Union to leave and come to the United States. And we, we were able to use that to come here. And because, you know, people don't change overnight just because uh, Soviet Union fell apart doesn't mean that people's hearts changed, right? It's In fact, it got right. worse for Christians. So that's why we moved. And that was the main reason for Better Life, because before we moved, things got much worse for us. You know, we... Uh, we didn't have much money to work with that was a time when we had to share toothbrushes take turns to go outside to play because we had only so many pairs of shoes my i remember my um like pants were were getting smaller and smaller and me just before we moved it got worse and worse and so it was really uh it was a miracle coming here i don't think i'd be alive today if i didn't move to the united states it's just uh it's just the truth.
1: <laughs> oh, why, why is that? Why wouldn't you be alive?
2: Well, because of I think this is just obviously my personal opinion. Obvious, yeah. uh, I think because uh, times were so hard, I don't know you know I, I don't know what I would have done. I, I'm I sure, I sure hope I, I wouldn't fall for any kind of I don't know crimes or anything like that. but you know there was a lot of uh, instability and you know desperate people do desperate things and I was very young. I, when I moved to United States, I became a Christian after I already moved, meaning mm. I started following Christ. I was 12 years old when I moved to United States. And uh, even though I grew up in the Christian family, it's still, you still got to walk it out, right? When you become old and older, when you're an adult. And so I, I'm just so happy that I moved because I was, I had uh, good mentors when I moved. And so I think it, uh, anyway, it all worked out. But if I, if we stayed because of the Russian war and everything, a lot of times larger families, uh, had to give their kids to the war quicker, you know. I I, I think that because we we're we were from a family of nine, definitely some of us would see the war, you know, that's, that was happening just recently with the, the whole Russia on the in the Donetsk area. So I think if if uh, if it wasn't was in the war, I would probably I don't know. I, I'm afraid that back then I wasn't following Christ like I am now. Yeah. I, I, I'm afraid that I m- might've been a part of something like a mob or something. Like that. But this is just the first, obviously God protected me from all that, but you know, yeah, you never know what right. it would have been.
1: Well, can you tell me a little bit about your operation Christmas trial experience? Cause I, I saw the video. Yeah.
2: So I received, when I was in Ukraine, we, I received a shoe box when I was nine years old and, uh, Man, again, growing up, we had to—we didn't have access to a lot of toys. In fact, we made—we uh, made yo-yos out of Coca-Cola caps, which kind of cool. Kind of, we'd go outside, we'd find Coca-Cola caps, we'd drill a hole through the middle, put a little match, some strings, and—and and in fact, you know, those old school Coca-Cola bottles, if you take the cap off, and it has this little plastic uh, ring that seals the cap. If you take that off and invert it, it had a little, little plastic. Teeth on it, so we would slide those on on the ends of the caps, and it, it, our yo-yo had like spikes, and it would cut through paper and grass. I mean, it was pretty sweet, right? That's what we <laughs> we did. We played with our shoes, pretending they were cars, and uh, so that's kind of so. Growing up, we didn't have a lot of things, and uh, one day we were invited to come to a Christmas celebration, which was cool. What I like about Samaritan's Express Operation Christmas Child is that how intentional it is. It's not just I'm going to give you a gift and it's going to be awesome, but it, it's you're going to get a gift, and at the same time they will give you the gospel. 12 weeks discipleship courses come or like uh, lessons come with these boxes. So kids get to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and not only that, but they're also encouraged to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So each box they say on average reaches about like six to nine kids or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's a tool to reach the, uh, to lost. And, uh, that's why I love it because children, kids are the the next generation and man, you know, you, there's so many different testimonies, how, Thousands of churches were started because of these shoe boxes. Pastors were literally using like tools to get kids and to get people in the church, and then they would hear the gospel. And so, to get a, a physical gift, the box, and then a spiritual gift, right? And, and so that's why I'm so on fire and excited about Operation Christmas Child because how intentional it is, you know?
1: Yeah. But well, do you do you remember anything from your box?
2: Yeah. So I got my I get a yo yo. So I didn't have to do, uh, I didn't have to make yo-yos out of Coca-Cola caps. Yes. I had, my, I had my own toothbrush, so I didn't have to share one with anybody anymore, which is pretty exciting. I had these hot wool cars, which was really cool. And, you know, I, I didn't have to play with my shoes anymore, pretending they were cars. I got, and this is kind of funny, I got a dental floss, which I thought was candy. And I remember <laughs> licking it. I remember thinking, you Americans have some crazy candy like what is this what is this <laughs> i thought maybe it was some kind of diet candy or something like that and in fact it wasn't until like many years later when we moved to the united states and we were at our first dentist appointment and that's where i learned what dental floss is really for so <laughs> wow yeah and i had this bar of soap which was really cool it was like the whitest white i've ever seen remember how i, I talked to you about i told you about the russian soap the soviet soap well yeah. this one was like the opposite it was like the whitest white smelled so good had these like Smooth edges, so slick. The way it was so just the way it was designed had this nice curve to it, and had the print of the dove. I always jokingly say that it was like the Holy Spirit in the box, right? It sanctified my whole box. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was, but also I got school supplies, and you know, growing up, I unfortunately I had to lie to my teachers that I forgot my school supplies because I was too embarrassed to admit that I I uh, didn't couldn't afford them. And my teacher, man, she ridiculed me in front of the whole class. She would make us get up and. Uh, it, was, it was a humbling experience. And so now I had I, I got school supplies with this box as well. And it's just a bunch of cool things. It was really awesome. You know, all the years I forgot a lot of detail, but I never forgot how it made me feel. And, you know, when you pack these shoe boxes, people pack them with so much love. And on the receiving end, children feel that same love. And I always say this, that God is love. And when you show love to people, you show God to people. And when people experience love, they experience God. And once you experience that God's unconditional love, you will not walk away in chains.
1: Special thanks to Vladimir Prognevsky for sharing his story. He and his twin brother run ukramedia.com. I'll put links to that in the show notes. It's a super helpful website that teaches people to make motion graphics. God willing, we'll be back next week with a full episode. Just a reminder that the Truce Podcast is listener-supported. Please consider donating a little each month through our website at trucepodcast.com. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we'd love for you to follow us there. Finally, as my challenge this week, I want to encourage you to join our email update list. It's free and has links to our guests and notes from the show. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Sterren and this is Truce.